Hello, and welcome to Rope Choice Screenings, episode 14. I'm your host, Em, and with me are my regular co-hosts, Jackson. Hello! And Destiny. Ahoy, hoy. It's movie time! Yeah! Woohoo! Hooray for Hollywood! Mmm, not, not watching Hollywood, so no. <laughs> no. I was going to ask if anyone's seen any movies, but we don't talk about movies like that here, so... Oh, I've seen so many. You've been going to the movies a lot lately. I'm just going to say yay or nay. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know what you've seen. So. Terminator Dark Fate was a yay. Okay. Charlie's Angels, whatever the new Charlie's Angels is called. I think it's just called Charlie's Angels. Oh, okay. Double yay. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth Banks is a force. Everybody was in that movie with cameos. It was awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, Christian Stort's really hot. Okay. Um, What else did I see? You know, I think that was it. Oh, I watched a documentary called uh, Wings of Life from the Disney Channel. Yeah, uh, Disney streaming thingy. It was Meryl Streep was a flower and she told you about how the bees are dying. And we need to okay. start growing stuff to attract the bees. I'm pretty the sure the bees have bounced back recently. Have they? Yeah. That's good to hear. What happened? What changed? People just growing more stuff? uh efforts and just you know sometimes stuff is weird you never know really what's causing stuff what about the monarchs i don't know anything about the monarchs is that all the um, movies you've seen uh i actually think that's it uh let me double check my letterbox while you vamp uh jackson have you seen any movies we've seen a movie what did we see <laughs> we saw the most important movie what uh, did we see we saw transformers the last night <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that, right. That was since the last time we recorded one of these. Gosh. Um, ne- nay? I think nay. <laughs> nay? Nay? But also yay? Yeah. Oh, I've, I've got mine. Okay. Did we talk about the lighthouse? No. no. D- lighthouse is double yay for me. Double yay, yes, for yeah. me as well. And then Parasite was a triple yay. Okay. I haven't seen Parasite. I doubt I'd like it more than Lighthouse. I really like The Lighthouse. Parasite. I mean, I like what The Lighthouse is about more, but uh, Parasite just had, like, it was funny, it was sad, it was terrifying, and it was just, like, completely surprising. Mm-hmm. So, that's what wins me over. I uh, resent Parasite. Not for anything to do with the movie, but it's in that classic position of movie that gets really big, everyone fucking talks about it, and it doesn't come out here till February. A Lighthouse too. Not here till February. But no one's telling me the ending of uh, um, Lighthouse. No one's talking about that in the same the, way. Whereas Parasite, the everyone ending of down. Parasite doesn't matter. Sure, but I can't see the movie, and everyone's like, "Oh, you have to know nothing," and then I have to send ha- spend five months watching as everyone explains the movie online. Oh yeah, no, that sucks. And it's not—I don't know—it's not that deep. Like anyway, uh, <laughs> Transformers <laughs> last again, night. Just a yay, Jackson. Uh, Transformers last night? Yeah. I mean, like, it. if you've not seen four other Transformers movies, it's definitely a nay. Uh, first, first 20 minutes, double, triple, quadruple yay. The rest <laughs> the of the movie, yay. probably a nay. The, yeah, the first 20 minutes illustrate a fact uh, that is true, which is that we should all just go back to making fake Lord of the Rings. Um, yes. It's just a good template. Even if you're bad at making movies, it's great. Like, everyone, we'll have to watch the um, Guy Ritchie one at some point. Uh, who did the King Arthur movie? But apparently, once you uh, once you just if you're a bad filmmaker and you just start doing <laughs> fake Lord of the Rings fantasy shit, it becomes ten times better. Yep. 
Uh, me and Destiny also watched Godzilla Raids again, which is like a like a pretty weak sauce yay, but it's a yay. That's the the first sequel, right? Yes. Yeah. It's got stuff in it. Uh, and then I watched Heisei Rider vs. Showa Rider, Kamen Rider Tyson, featuring <laughs> Super Sentai. <laughs> Did you now? Yes, the height of cinema. Yay or nay? Uh, d- double yay. Double yay. Double yay. If you want to know, if, if, you want, if you want Kamen Rider to explain the franchise through, like, uh, metaphysical cosmology, it's the movie that's got your back. I, I bet you do. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Uh, you gotta, you gotta care a lot about Kamen Rider. Give a shit about that. But I'm just saying, I watched it. It's a good movie. I haven't watched a lot of movies because I've been watching a lot of Kamen Rider instead. Feel much better about it. I watched John Wick two again. That movie's still. Oh, the best. I, I need to watch John Wick three. Still yeah, haven't I still done that. Seen three you should watch and I'm John very Wick better. It's it's yeah. out now. Uh, it's good. Yeah. It's not as good as two, but it's pretty good. It's better than one. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it's probably better than one. I think people over uh, hype one. One's fine. One's but... fine. Anyway, we're here to talk about an actual goddamn movie, a bastion of cinema, all the movies that we've talked about eat shit. Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about Cleo from 5 to 7. Jackson, do you want to introduce the facts of this movie? Yeah. Uh, Cleo from 5 to 7 is a movie from 1962. It was directed by Anya Varda. Is that right? Or is it Agnes? Cause I'd it's like- probably Anya, because it's French. Yeah, would so be my I guess. go Anya, but then I'm like, oh, Agnes is like, I, it can't be. That would be stupid. We can look on Wikipedia. I mean, Agnes out. is a name, like, right. you know, but. Anyway, but uh, it's, it's uh, directed and written by her. Uh, I don't know. I, the thing with looking on Wikipedia is I don't know how to decipher the, this is how things are phonetically sounded alphabet at all. Let me see if all. me, former linguistics major, college dropout, can figure it out for us. It, make, it looks like it's going to be an Agnes. Um, oh, Agnes? Hmm. Yeah, because the S is there. It's not. Okay. It's well, in then, the pronunciation. Uh, then Agnes Varda, uh, 1962, French movie uh, about a, a, a pop singer called Cleo who is waiting for of the tests of uh, the results of a cancer test that she's going to get from the doctor at seven o'clock. The movie begins at five o'clock uh, and it is about the events of those two hours. And that's kind of the whole pitch. 6.30. The tattle's a lie. I, no, 5.30. <laughs> no, she gets the news at 6.30. She's waiting till 6.30. I think it's Anya. Okay. Someone who actually knows, please write in, but... Yeah. <laughs> Anya sounds probably most correct. We are uncouth. Anyway, go on, Jackson. I don't She's know, waiting no, no, on the test. The title is a lie. The title's yeah. a lie. Apparently, I got the wrong time when she gets the. It doesn't pop up the time at the end when she gets the time when she gets. No, the, news. the last chapter. The last chapter ends at six thirty. It, okay. Like it, it's just a because Cleo from five to six thirty is not a good title. <laughs> no, I, I just assumed it was from five to se- seven, but it didn't. Like it wasn't keeping the real time gimmick. It was like we'll edit around. No, it actually does keep the real time gimmick pretty well, actually. Oh sure, uh, but it's not to the point of like. You know, people do this kind of thing now. You'll actually be able to do a stopwatch. It doesn't care. It's an actual movie, right? Um, the, the interesting thing about this is, like, it does it. Like, you can walk this entire path through Paris. It'll take you about an hour and a half if you like. It's all relatively in real time. It just isn't showy about it in like right. the Russian arc sort of way. Like, that's it's not I mean. interested in that sort of like formal flexing because yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. Because it is ridiculous. Because the movie's just good anyway. It doesn't need that. 
But yeah, that's that's the film. That's like she goes around Paris, uh, meeting various people, uh, some real shitbags, uh, and we learn about her lives and you know some mediation on what it means to be alive uh, when you're like staring death in the face, but in a very muted way of like I'm just waiting for test results. It's kind of a mundane way to do that. It's a normal thing. Many people have done this. Very relatable experience. Uh, and yeah, that that's the. It's a very simple movie. It's incredible. I, yeah, I'm um, really liking it. I uh, saw this movie probably like a decade ago at this point, and had been wanting to revisit it. Um, I was like, I'm pretty sure this movie's not like actually unbearably like anxious for people with de- death anxiety, which is all three of the people on this cast. Because <laughs> yes. I remember, I remember enjoying it pretty well, um, and so I was happy to revisit and find that my memories are correct. Uh, and it is just kind of like a nice, like the anxiety level is there, but it is it is relatable and not like. It's not, like, oppressive in the way, like, some things can be. I just want to interrupt to say I do not have a death anxiety. I have a illness anxiety. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I have all They're anxieties. very different. You have all of them. <laughs> uh, but since I uh, have seen this before, if uh, either of you want to react with your impressions first, be my guest. I like that it opens with this color tarot card thing where she essentially has her entire, like the entire movie is spelled out for you in these color divination sequences during the opening credits. And then the rest of the film is in black and white as if it's like, you know, this is the real world. And then the color segments are the dream. I don't know. I always, I thought that was really cool. Um, uh, go on. The I was reading the Ebert review, which is uh, like from 2012. It's like a more modern review. And he mentions like uh, in the review, it's like first she goes to a fortune teller and we don't understand the, the tarot cards, but uh, it fills with anxiety. And I was like, no, me and Destiny are watching this. When she pulls a death card, we both were like, oh, no, <laughs> we know what this means because <laughs> it doesn't actually mean death. It just means transformation. And then the lady goes, it doesn't actually mean death. It just means transformation. <laughs> and it was very funny. That's the one yeah. thing that everyone knows about fortune te- like tarot reading cards, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> death doesn't mean death, you guys. Now, four of swords. No, <laughs> <laughs> coming home absolutely the, twisted. The tower. <laughs> there you go. Oh yeah, if you get the tower, fucking run. <laughs> I don't actually like to use tarot cards for shit like that. Anyway, yes. go on. Oh uh, no, that that was it. It was just very funny oh. to me. The like yeah. assumption uh, assumptions that are made in that review. It's worth reading. Uh, Ebert's uh, as always a good writer. Um, but. Uh, I feel like his review, it's, uh, I like, I think this movie is like really good about it's like gender stuff. I think it is a necessary antidote to French cinema's general masculine bullshit. Um, but all of the, like the review and the, the criterion, uh, essay that you can look up online are all very like men writing about, oh, this is so good about gender. And I was just rolling my eyes the entire fucking time. That's um, really weird. Because they're all, uh, they're, they're like understanding, but the viewpoint is very limited. <laughs> mm. I'm surprised they didn't talk to more women filmmakers about the film. Mm-hmm. That's very baffling. Yeah. Not surprising, just weird. Uh, yeah, I was glad I liked it so much because I, so when I was doing my film degree, like when it came to French, uh, French New Wave Week, uh, we w- watched Breathless and it was, I'd hated it. So I was like, didn't explore too much further. <laughs> 
Um, oh, briefly, the Criterion essay is from 2008. That probably has a lot to do with who got to write it. <laughs> okay. Yes. I feel like Criterion has made a lot of efforts in the last couple of years to expand who they're pulling from and also expand the movies they cover. So, uh, the culture's changed since 2008. <laughs> yes. A whole last decade. Uh, but yeah, like when I, when I watched Breathless in school, I just found it boring and bad. Um, so I didn't like, I was like, maybe I just won't like French New Wave, but I'm glad that I watched this one, which I know like the Wikipedia has like arguments, like, is this technically New Wave? Cause like she was working before that, that wave of people, of, uh, like, you know, filmmakers. Um, I don't care. Like I don't, think it's I'm, lumped in. Yeah. Like I'm not as familiar with the, the, uh, I'm not asking Millie with specifics that it'd be completely pointless for me to speculate on that. I just like the movie yes. a lot. I think that it would be um, limited, lim- limiting her Varda's work to say she's a French New Wave director. But like, I think this movie has a French New Wave sensibility, even if I don't necessarily think of it as a French New Wave film. There's a uh, lot of experimental stuff going on with the, the thing- way the time oh, is shown. The the thing with uh, French New Wave is doing research for this, like, there is the Cairo du Cinema directors like Godard and Romer and Truffaut and stuff who are all, like, they're younger, they're really into Hollywood and, like, remixing the things they loved out of Hollywood into their own versions of that. And then there's, like, the left bank directors who are roped into this who are older and more interested in, like film is like storytelling versus like i really love the movies capital t capital m and that's varda and uh renee and jacques demi and stuff like that oh okay that's an interesting distinction i had never heard of the term left bank uh until i saw the wikipedia entry for this Mm -hmm. uh film (laughs) to be quite frank (laughs) yes and like they weren't like competing schools or anything it's just that no. uh the Cairo de cinema directors are the ones that really blew up and defined this era of cinema uh, but they were like champions of the work of the left bank directors and stuff it was not it was not like uh, they were all harmonious yes yeah <laughs> everybody hung out with everybody i just assume the sense. um algerian war is that what the war is called yeah okay that is a thing that a conflict that i know nothing about and that just kind of hangs over this film in an interesting way to kind of pull cleo out of her sort of well she should pull her out of her head yes she's so worried about these results and there's just so much else going on around her and that's the thing that kind of snaps her out of it yeah because uh 62 is when the war ended with france pulling like algeria got independence and so this is like you know it is a colonial power that is dominating the news of like revolution and the declining idea of like french empire right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but also like that's right up against either pilafs had a surgery again like a, a famous singer who is undergoing medical like problems She's really sick yeah. yes at this time she's about to die like that's the sad part mm-hmm. but no, i really uh i really want to do uh battle, battle of algiers Arge- yeah battle at some point algiers yeah i've not seen it so i i'm 
a little hurt you didn't like Breathless, Jackson. I actually really like Breathless. <laughs> I, I also know. I also don't particularly like Breathless. I know you're not supposed to like Godard. I fucking love Breathless. I love Le Petit Soldat. Um, I don't know. I just, I think he's good at the filming. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I just didn't, I know we've done, gone into this before in this podcast, but yeah, uh, I was oh, really put off by that film. Um. Okay, no worries. I don't want to have to retread it. I just was saddened. I um, I definitely feel like uh, Godard is one of those then like contemporary film people. Like, if you didn't grow up being told that Godard is important, you don't really have a lot of affection for him because he fucking hates women and it's all over his movies. Yeah, there are things I, like there are Godard I movies it's... I like. I like. Uh, I like. Um, my life to live i like weekend uh like there's stuff i am uh band yeah, of parts pretty yeah. solid but i'm like, not saying like it i just don't think he's necessarily like a bad filmmaker he's a uh, i just think his person. movies are gross yeah <laughs> uh, i also think breathless has an outsized reputation this for is for the movie it is yeah, I mean, I was definitely coming into it as like, this is one of the films I have heard about as one of the most important films ever for like years. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it and I was like, eh. And some some <laughs> movies live up to that reputation and right, yeah. some do not. Some, yeah, it, it, that's how the school goes. Yes. Sometimes you watch Touch of Evil and you're like, yeah, that fucking rules. Uh, Touch of Evil does roll. Yeah, Touch of Evil does roll. What what uh, French New Wave movies do you like? I I like I said I watched that and didn't watch any more because it was that was the week. I was like, oh, oh, sorry, was... sorry. It literally doesn't matter. Let's talk more about this movie. Yeah, but that's that's why this movie was cool because yeah, like uh, my my school experience was going through that and I'm not exploring more because I really didn't like the intro, um, and then we moved on to the next thing. Uh, so coming back to this, I'm like, oh, this is great. Uh, I should I should watch more of these these uh, these films. Okay. Yeah. We'll probably we'll probably circle. It's hard to do a, a movie podcast about like important movies without spending a lot of time in France. I feel like so. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that would not surprise me. Yeah, uh, we definitely should cover a Jacques Demy movie at some point. I'd be interested in your take on Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Yeah, I'd like to. That's definitely one of the ones I hear talked about the most. Yeah. Um. Uh, but this movie itself, I I just really like the uh, the sense of it, right? Like the the floating from scene to scene. It was it was uh, it was impressive in how like not showy it was for how impressive it is. Uh, there's one shot early on where she's like um, she's at at this this cafe, and there's another couple having an argument behind her that's really inane and bad, uh, and they kind of leave. But the whole the whole shot is like it. It feels like a like it's a two two shots combined, but it's not. It all it's all one shot. I think it's either split focus or wide focus or something uh, that like fits all of them in. And there's like a line in the architecture of the building that like emphasizes the split as well. And it was just very like it, for like showy as that is one of the most showy shots in the movie. It's not like uh, a huge camera movement drawing attention to itself or anything. It just is very very good. And the movie's like full of moments like that. I think. Yeah. yeah, it's really great. Like it just looks uh, fantastic. 
one of the things I like is, especially in like really long shots, uh, where people like often this is like in the scenes, sequence of the cars and stuff. Uh, there are the cuts that are in the middle of like a movie that is trying to do the Russian arc, like everything is happening in a real space in real time. Like the edits are just there to break that up and refuse to indulge in like, the like a lingering of like this is naturalistic because the camera's just in the space existing like you put the cut in even if the cut is like nothing other than like a beat and then the characters are in a slightly dis- different position to remind you that no this is not a real thing this is a movie yeah there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a great moment which i think emphasizes that towards the end which is when they're on the bus um, yes and they have this long shot on the bus as they like i, th- I think i think the shot is unbroken from the flat when he picks up the flower uh and like kind of pans around and then they sit there together on the on the bus and it like just hangs on them looking at each other for a long time and then hey, i'm gonna sneeze but or, or not and that's even worse <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm leaving this in so okay. great 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 but then it cuts as they like get up but then the 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 next shot begins as they're getting off like it just cuts out them walking from one side of the bus to the other side of the bus but then keeps in them doing the very very long walk to the hospital but removing out the like bit where they just kind of oh i'm sorry i'm moving past all the other people in the bus is like Mm -hmm. i feel like a really good uh just moment to uh, uh, illustrate how like smart it is about when it cuts the the it is absolutely willing because it's a movie to cut things out in the service of time uh and like actually enforcing the mood but that doesn't break up the like moments that are just about hanging with the space yeah yeah and it's also not it's not unwilling to indulge in like like pure cinema moments there's a bit where bob her music uh writer comes in um who's played by michelle legrand Michel who's LeGrand. the composer yes and he's pl- he's trying to find a song that she likes that she can sing because he doesn't think she's particularly like good as a singer and she resents that but also it seems true because there's a really good song he has she's like this is too difficult i refuse to do this one <laughs> um <laughs> and so they're going through songs they hit on one and it just is like the saddest song but while she's singing it she like turns to camera and the the background doesn't fade out. She just happens to be standing in front of like a black cloth that's draped. So it just like the background turns black because of the camera framing mm-hmm. as she sings through the rest of the song, as she like puts the paper down and is just full on musical singing to camera. And it's really good. It's extremely mm-hmm. good. Uh, but then there's also like a baffling short comedy film in the middle of this movie when they go like she and her friend are hanging out and they go to visit her friend's boyfriend who's like works a movie projector and he's like oh watch this short it's really funny it'll cheer you right up because you're sad and it's this like (laughs) goofy silent short that's uh it's got like the characters in it are godard and anna karina and like just like famous people in French cinema playing at like this really weird and off kilter and racist short comedy thing um, that is so incongruous to the rest of the movie. Yeah, it really took me out for a bit. I did not care for that. No. Yep, for sure. Uh, it's like the one part of the movie that like, I don't think works, but I don't under, I don't know if it's supposed to not work because it's not funny. And like, Someone putting on like, oh, this will cheer you up. You're sad uh, about maybe you're dying and then puts on like a not funny video is everyone's experience when your friends show you a YouTube video and you're like, no, nah, this ain't it. <laughs> like your friends are a decade younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh. It's really interesting because like her friends, her it, like the age of everyone in this is like really strange because she hangs out with like a woman who is pr- like her her best friend, her like She's her maid. <laughs> um, I don't know what that lady is to her other than she like helps her with stuff. Um, she is. Made. Okay, she's a maid? Okay. But they yeah. hang out, like, in a very specific way that is, like, more than just a maid. Well, yes. But she's also the woman in the tarot reading who's the bad influence. Oh, right, right, right. Um, But she's, like, an older woman who is, like, a class... Uh, in a, a different, like, social class, right? Like, she's, like, a working class woman, but it has on the airs of someone who is, like, fancy, as compared to, like, the taxi driver woman who's just like, yeah, I fought those kids. I'm not scared of anything. I ride. I drive a taxi in Paris. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but then, like, her, the rest of her friends, like... You know, um, who's, what's the name of that woman who she meets who's modeling? Uh, Dorothy is like, uh, like they, they were friends together when they were younger, but she seems so much younger than Cleo, who has like successed her way into like appearing more glamorous and older, even though she's not. Um, and I think that stuff's really interesting. There's like a real friction of like, my life took a turn that makes me not relate to the people I grew up with anymore yeah yeah like it definitely feels kind of like when she uh, hangs out with dorothy she's like returning to the real world in a like sense uh mm-hmm. of like she just exists in a just completely different reality because it comes like after the stuff in her house which is very fake and awkward sometimes like remember that bit where they all come in and do that like oh you're ill we're gonna pretend to be doctors and we've got a ridiculous comedy <laughs> like injection to give you and she's like oh my god i'd rather die right now um, <laughs> and it's like just in her huge apartment right like it's very like what it is like to be disaffected rich person surrounded by uh people who are like sucking up to you as much as they are like tr- actually trying to connect with you um but then like goes back to her own like her old friends but she is like so from a different world that she can't connect to them either because you know they just hang out they go to the protectionist booth and they watch that terrible short and they're like this is how this is what it's like uh, mm-hmm. and she's like this is not it either i will continue on my existentialist way <laughs> <laughs> i did really like uh just to, if we don't have anything more on that point um we mentioned the like algerian war stuff i really liked how that hung over the entire movie um, me too because like on the face of it, it is very obviously a movie about gender right um like i'm not denying that that's true but i feel like a a recurring theme on our podcast is reminding people that other things exist and like because me and em a very stringent leftist podcast is talking about media we go to gundam and it's like the way that this big colonial war hangs over this uh like movie about uh sad rich people um is really good like it's really smart uh because it contextualizes all of cleo's existential angst as like the most like it still cares about it still invests in it but there you have to remember this is extremely indulgent your country is currently like untold people are dying to try to maybe bring about uh a revolution against a like uh colonial power imperial power stretching back like centuries um yeah so the the movie is definitely aware of the the like position of privilege and like just what class of person you have to be in for like to be able to worry about something in this way where you can just float through the world because i feel like this is like a 
cliche complaints about this kind of movie of like oh it's just rich people being sad floating through things uh but in this like i, I you know it's very intentional here because it's clearly set against actual real things I also think it's interesting because, like, the last big chunk of the movie is her. She goes to a park to wait, right. you know, and yes. she meets Antoine, who is a soldier. He who walks up to her, just hits on her, and is like very obnoxious and overbearing in the way that all of the men in the movie have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, she lingers just enough to like actually have a, start to have a conversation. And he's a, like, he's that night he is shipping back out to go back to the war, and his vision of like existentialism is like. I had time off here. I got nothing done. I was supposed to go live my best life while before I go and possibly die. And I didn't do any of that. And here I am in this park with this lady and we're just going to have a conversation now, I guess. Um, and she really like latches onto that as like, oh, right. Like other people can suffer the, the feelings I feel in very radically different ways. Cause she wants like someone to understand her and all of her friends who live in the spaces she does, like just kind of like disregard all her feelings. And here is this guy who is in a radically different context who understands exactly what she's about. Yeah. Um, and, but in the context of, yeah, the, there's a war on. He's going to go and fight and potentially die in that. And no one wants to do that. Um, but the two can find a, a like an understanding with each other that is good. Also, at that moment, it basically turns into like a before sunrise. Okay, thank you. I was, yes, I didn't, I didn't want to bring that up because I was like, I assume I've just not seen enough movies and like because I know before sunrise is nicking off French New Wave in a big way. Yes. Uh, so I was like, it'd be rude to bring up the thing that the, it is famous for nicking this. But uh, yes. thing as you did, I feel okay about it because I also thought. That yeah, was. no, no. I mean, I think that's probably intentional, right? Like oh, they literally, so. they literally spend twenty minutes riding through Paris, talking about nothing and everything. Oh yeah, originally uh, like it was like, what if I made this three entire movies? <laughs> and they're great. They're, they're great. Almost perfect. I love them so much. <laughs> make a fourth one if you're not a coward. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Can't stop until one of you dies. Yeah. <laughs> I really can't stop until two of you die. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really want the movie where one of them is there and the other one is dead, which should be the saddest movie too. in the world. I want the say. saddest movie ever made. Uh, yeah, it has to be said. Has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that the last stretch of the movie is like clearly the best stretch. Like, it's fantastic uh, in how, like, oh, right, an actual conversation with a person that isn't just people talking across purposes and not being able to find like just not even in the like understand each other sense of all the anime we talk about and just literally any real connection that isn't just people doing their own things next to each other mm-hmm. uh, and um the climax of the movie is much more that like you know extended conversation scene than it is the finding out of the illness uh that doesn't really matter <laughs> Uh, but it's it's amazing because so they have this conversation. She's like, I'm happy finally for the first time. And they go to the doctor. They go to the hospital. The doctor's not there. And so like, I guess we'll just call him tomorrow. It doesn't matter. I'm going to spend my time with you. See you off to the train. It'll be good. And I'm, I have something else to live for. And then the doctor rides up like the Eddie Izzard bit about like <laughs> Italians just going around the scooters going, ciao. ciao. <laughs> He's too chill. He's far too chill for a doctor. And he's like, oh, you're afraid to come to my office? She's like, they told me you were out. And he's like, oh, well, ignore them. Uh, you're sick. You got cancer. Two months, you'll be good. Right as rain. And then he drives off. <laughs> 
months of chemo, which is grueling and terrible for you, and you might not make it, but bye. I mean, he is very certain that she's going to be fine. He's like, ah, oh, we, we spotted it in time. It's fine. Like, the movie, the movie's not, like, uh, using your knowledge of cancer to trip you up. Uh, no, no. I, I think it was more the tarot card reading right. at the beginning of the film I was holding on to. <laughs> well, so, like, for me, I was like, okay, there's only two endings this movie can have. And it is, one, she finds out she's not ill. And two, we don't see whether she, like, we don't see what the answer is. Uh, the and thing, the movie does I, both of them. <laughs> the thing that happened to me is I remember her finding out she's not sick. <laughs> I totally misremembered the ending of this movie. <laughs> Wait. Because that's basically, like, the the emotional content of the ending. Yeah. I mean, the, the ending is finding out she's not... Like, she is still sick, but the ending is definitely the man telling him, it's uh, uh, it's fine, you're not going to die. And and he's like, oh, you're sick, shit. Uh, how do you feel about that? And she's like, you know what? I'm actually really happy for the first time. Because, honestly, if I thought I was going to die of cancer and someone told me, nah, it's totally fine, I'd be the most relieved person on the war- earth. Because the agony of, like, waiting to find out is so much worse than whatever the reality would be. Yeah, absolutely. And I have too much anxiety. I don't think I trust them. <laughs> the the ending, the shot at the end where they like the bubble breaks after this news is given to them is so good because their like connection is real, right? And uh, yes. they 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 afford this and they do. Have, but now they no longer have the like mythic overarching like tragedy to it, and they're just two people walking down a road, <laughs> and they both mm-hmm. feel very awkward about it. I like that stuff about the ending because it, it doesn't like invalidate their connection at all, but it definitely does have like a moment of man being a person's weird. <laughs> yes, it's very good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does come up and do the fucking Eddie is on bit. I hadn't thought about that until you said Yes. It. It's so incongruous because the hospital's like a huge, like, palatial estate with, like, yes. very, like, turn of the century, like, flower gardens. And it just feels very old Europe. And then this guy rides up like it's the late 60s, just like the coolest dude. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I found him obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, no, he's super obnoxious. But it's it's funny, like it's so it's so jarring to the romance of them sitting in this like park talking about their worries when he rides up is like, ah, don't worry about it, and I'm going to have a drink. <laughs> and it absolutely like does this through the like shots as well, because it leads into his his leaving is the most like ridiculous comedy uh type of like this is a showy shot, but it the movie knows it's a joke uh in the film, yeah. which is when he drives off and the camera stays on his car and they just kind of stand there getting smaller in the distance yeah he might as well he might as well have like driven through a wall and <laughs> how he crashes through the movie it's so good just from a uh, yeah. universe <laughs> it's really it's, it's good because it also like kind of puts the all of the the worries in context like yes this is a real thing to be worried about but also like this is one person on one afternoon in a life that she's probably going to lead for the next 40 plus years. And there'll be other things. And also everyone has something going on. And like, I like it's small, but even if it's not trivial, and I think it's good to like have that context right at the end, because the movie can be like, like, you know, when she's in the, when she's in the apartment singing, it feels like it is the entire universe is her angst in this moment and everyone like oppressing her through their dismissal of her feelings. Uh, and to see the like, the, you know, vagaries of the universe do it instead is like a much kinder way of like putting it in its place. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The ending's excellent. <laughs> 
truly comedic, that doctor. I can't, I can't get over him. I cannot. Too chill. Too, I would have been furious if that were my doctor. Yes. It's probably good for you to have a doctor like that. I just, I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> the thing I do have to, like, the, my brain, the, the thing my brain goes to, right, is to imagine how this exact man, who is in a script, so written for this purpose, but my head goes, how would he deliver the bad news? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because now I have to imagine that because he's the character written like his character works because he's delivering like trivial news. It's like it's fine, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, what would he do if that wasn't the news? Would he drive up? Like, would he just drive away? Would he drive ignore them? Uh, <laughs> just like ducking his head behind the car. <laughs> yeah, just an uh, open top car with a hat driving past. <laughs> Uh, does anyone have anything else? Because I think I've covered everything I've got here. No, I think I've mainly, mainly covered the things I wanted to say. Same. Okay. I'm very glad I saw uh, it. Yeah, it's me a good too. movie. Good uh, movie. Let me pull up the email because we've got a email. If you would like to send emails, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com, of course, about this movie, about any movies. We have one email. It's from Tron. Thank you, Tron, Yay! for being the one person who writes in. Aw, thank you. Um, do you like the designs of the 60s cars? Yes. Uh, yeah, I do. The The cab they get in is like the coolest looking vehicle in the entire world. It's amazing. Yes. Um, have you all ever frequented places that a lot of artists like to hang out in? Because there, the, the, there's a scene in the cafe where everyone's having like either a discussion about art or about politics in the very like traditional like salon sense. And it's very uh, ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, like the closest thing was, I guess, like going to like certain parts of uh, like the colleges, the various colleges they went to, but not mm-hmm. in, not in this sense. Um, I guess like hanging around theater kids, maybe. Mm-hmm. But even that, not really. Like, yeah, I I definitely think of this as like a college thing yes. where everyone's having yeah, some ridiculous same. conversation. Mm-hmm. College or like. Any any group of twenty year olds, twenty somethings. <laughs> um, Destiny might be able might have a yes answer for this. Have you ever gone to a fortune teller? If yes, how is the experience? I have not, but oh, you know what? I don't know. Does a bone reader count as a fortune teller? I guess. Let's they say do. yes for the content. <laughs> okay, I've had my bones read twice, which is a um, hoodoo divination method, where essentially the reader has like a tiny like handkerchief full of trinkets and a lot of animal bones and will do a prayer to the ancestors and then roll out the bones and different trinkets and read them based on the position that they fall and which ones kind of go into a certain part of the cloth but anyway both times i've had this done by two separate people uh they told me exactly like verbatim things that my therapist have to- has, has told me that I need to work on. So I don't know if I'm just really obviously <laughs> in need of like centering and grounding or if uh, everyone is just magical. But yeah, that's the only reading I've ever had. I've never had my tarot cards read by a professional. I've had friends do it and I've read my friends and like things like that. But that's the only thing I've done. Mm-hmm. You? I uh, know. My mom um, went to a palm reader uh, 
when I was growing up. She has a session on tape and she told her all this stuff that turned out not to be true. <laughs> uh, Tronus, what do you think of the homoerotic nature of Cleo and Dorothy's relationship? I didn't think there was one. Ditto. Yeah, I didn't think there really was one. Okay. Cleo's aggressively <laughs> heterosexual. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's an amazing shot though where so they're in the they're in the taxi together and Cleo gives her a hat because it's a it's a bad hat and she doesn't want it anyway. Uh, she only bought it to annoy her like maid friend uh Angel. And she gives her the hat and then she's like, Oh, this is my stop. And then she gets out of the taxi and like runs away like a fairy escaping into the day. Uh <laughs> like there's just like this real like flitting quality as she like like trounces up the stairs. It's very incongruous to the rest of the movie. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely. Oh, that's a great way to uh so put good. that. That's so funny. Um how, did you all feel like a voyeur at times when watching the scenes of the cameras just looking at random pedestrians? I loved that feeling, though. The thing I, like the I watch the thing I like about that is it it does that at first, but then after she's in the cafe, all the scenes are of the pedestrians like staring at the camera, like at Cleo via the camera. Mm-hmm. Yes, it looks like extras who weren't told that a movie was being filmed. They're like, "What's going on?" Like at the end of uh, <laughs> at the end of Pink Flamingos when Divine eats the dog shit. Like it's just a bunch of people just looking at the camera, gawking. um but yeah like so much of that is like like the oppressiveness of the paranoia when it's like turned back on her right Mm -hmm. yes because her experience in the cafe is like wanting desperately to be noticed and everyone's wrapped up in their own bullshit and then she leaves the cafe and suddenly everyone's looking at her but in a way she doesn't want and she's Um, usually all about people looking at her and telling people this is my song Mm-hmm. I'm beautiful, and that keeps me alive. Uh, and then, final question: Have any of you ever had cognac before? I'm pro- I thought she drank brandy in the thing. Or was it cognac? I might have been cognac. I literally don't remember. Yeah, Jackson doesn't drink. I don't drink. No, I've not had cognac or any drink. Okay. I've had wine once. Okay. What kind? White wine. I was five. Like- oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I thought it was apple juice. Uh, wine's gross. <laughs> I, I'm here to tell you wine's gross. Don't like it very much. I, well, I like five-year-old wine. me agrees. <laughs> no apple juice, I like, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I like white wine exclusively. Um, Destiny, have you had cognac or brandy? I've had brandy. I don't know if I've had cognac. Okay, I I've had cognac and brandy. Uh, the thing she gets like a like a snifter of cognac or brandy or whatever, and it, like cognac is supposed to be like a really like you sip it, it's very like aromatic it's all about the experience she just throws that thing back and gets the hell out of there it's very funny (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's in the tiniest little cup because it's not you know it's not a shot you're meant to like savor it uh but no no time for that (laughs) yep uh, also, when the musicians come to her place, uh, one of the guys asks for strawberry juice, and it looks like he gets a strawberry in some water. <laughs> Maybe it's like an inside joke they had. That's kind of yeah, how I understood. I don't know. That. It was very weird. I just he, he like just drinks joke. the water and then eats the like swallows the strawberry, and everyone claps like it's a party trick. Yeah, that's why I thought it was an inside joke. Mm. Uh, but that that is very strange. Um, <laughs> and that's it for questions. Again, podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Next time, we've got two movies. We're going to do a double feature again. Yes. I guess last time it wasn't a formal double feature, but this one is a formal double feature. 
What we, uh, we are watching Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill, both uh, by Seijun Suzuki. Um, if you're in America, you can find these, I'm pretty sure, on the Criterion channel. They are in the Criterion collection, so I just have the Blu-rays, so I assume they're on the, the channel. <laughs> uh, but I guess I didn't look it up. Uh, I would assume they are also. I, I looked up on Just Watch, can't find them in the UK. Uh, they are. They do both have Blu-ray releases, I think, on Arrow, because I think I have them. Well, Branded to Kill definitely does. I don't know about Tokyo Drifter. Uh, but they are very famous movies, so they should not be too hard to find. Uh, apparently, Branded to Kill is also available on Canopy, which is a library service. Uh, check your local it. library. They might have it. Um, and it is on the Criterion channel. Uh, let me check Tokyo Drifter real quick. Um Tokyo Drifter, also on Canopy and the Criterion Channel. You can also obviously rent them through Amazon or iTunes, like everything else. Or your else. local library. Yeah. Um, but that'll be fun. Jackson was like, I want to watch some Yakuza movies. And I was like, we can accommodate. Yeah, let's do <laughs> oh, that. Such a good movie. Brand um, to Kill, maybe not actually a Yakuza movie, but Tokyo Drifter. No. Is. We're going to have a good time regardless. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Amen. Um, so that'll be it. Uh, Destiny, where can people find you online? At FridgeBuzzNow on Twitter.com. And I believe Letterboxd.com now is also FridgeBuzzNow. I should probably start updating my Letterboxd again. Yeah, I just started like in the middle of this month. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jackson, where can people find you? You can find me at HeadfulsOff on Twitter.com. Um, you know, there's posts there. The other podcast at AbnormalMapping.com. There's a whole bunch, uh, including, I guess, I'll plug this here because it's coming back soon. Uh, we're starting up the Amory score again. Um, I do want to tell people what the Amory score is. The Amory score is, if you've just, li- I guess if you've only discovered us recently, uh, the Amory score is a podcast where me and my friend Molly uh, listen to the entire discography of the band Coheed and Cambria while explaining the ostensible plot <laughs> of that band's work uh got very difficult in the last album because usually there's a comic book that it actually tells the plot last album didn't and it took us forever because of work stuff so that was a nightmare but this time we've got an actual novel peter david helped him write a novel and we so we're going to cover that this year or first episode will be in december uh we'll probably take a while because there's 20 chapters and i don't know how i'm going to split them up but we're doing where can people find the emery score that is at i need uh I think, yeah. or is it I need mayo.io? No, it's, no, I, need it's I need mayo.com. Uh, I need mayo.com <laughs> for when you need mayo. Yeah, it's good to make your link to the podcast it completely inscrutable to people who haven't heard the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's memorable. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. I have a bunch of podcasts, most of them with Jackson. Um, but I also have one called And Then an Aeroplane, which you can find on Abnormal Mapping, where me and my friend Autumn are watching all of the Ghibli movies. Uh, our episode for Kiki's Delivery Service went up last week, and we are about to record our episode for Only Yesterday. So if you're listening to this on Monday or Tuesday and want to write in about Only Yesterday, please do that immediately. <laughs> because we're recording on Wednesday evening. Um... I think that's everything. Um, oh, we're Patreon supported. If you want to help us all keep the lights on, uh, roof over our head, food in our bellies, uh, streaming services on tap so we can watch all these movies and talk to you about them, you can go to patreon.com slash mapping. There's a variety of tiers. Um, $5 gets you writing. Um, and I'm going to probably be writing some Godzilla 
series thoughts soon. As soon as I can get that together, I'm going to look at some old writing I have and brush it up and write some new stuff on top of it. Because when I wrote about Godzilla the first time, I did not have ideology in the way that uh, we do now. <laughs> so um, I, I need to go back and uh, put class in the writing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's all right. Got to reframe it through the lens of class. Uh, anyway, um, that's... Oh, goodness. Podcast uh, over! Uh, uh, yes. Uh, until <laughs> next time. Pick me up. Don't expect to like him. <laughs> <laughs>